is she? Shanna, the Jungle Queen. Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is I'm the Gun's Shanna Showcase, a podcast devoted to the solo adventures of Marvel Comics' greatest jungle queen, Shanna the She-Devil. It's been a touch over a month since the last Shanna Showcase, uh, as I needed some time to review some of Shanna's adventures. Her last solo appearance, covered in the last episode, was a backup in one of Marvel's black-and-white magazines from the mid-to-late-70s, Rampaging Hulk. That story was in the issue cover dated April 1978. Shanna's next bona fide solo adventure wouldn't be until issue number 13 of Marvel Comics Presents, and that was cover dated February 1989. So it was a solid decade in between solo outings for Shanna. It's not to say she wasn't around, though. She appeared during the intervening decade in in various Marvel comics, but always alongside her companion, her partner, her lover, Khazar, Lord of the Savage Land. In her appearances with Khazar, Shanna was thrust into kind of a sidekick role alongside Khazar's sibling-slash-parent-slash-friend Zabu, the saber-toothed tiger. Shanna was often the damsel in distress, but occasionally got to show off her she-devil side and kick the kind of butt she did back in her solo days. The bulk of her appearances were in Khazar's own title, Khazar the Savage, which ran from April 1981 to October 1984. This episode, the focus of this episode, will be the recap of Shanna's story in Marvel Comics Presents number 13, but... I'd like to talk a little bit about Khazar the Savage first. Mostly in broad strokes, not going into too much detail. And despite some problems I have with the series, it's a it's a pretty decent read, and there's some good and important Khazar and Shanna adventures in the series. Khazar the Savage ran 34 issues, and, and all but the last handful were written by Bruce Jones. Jones had been writing some things for Marvel, including Red Sonja and Conan, which... It was actually a pretty good warm-up for the fantasy flair of Khazar the Savage. Jones was paired with artist Brent Anderson for the first half of the book's run, and Anderson and a variety of inkers turned in some sometimes startlingly good work. Later issues were drawn by Ron Friends and Armando Heel, among others. Now, when the first issue debuted, Shanna hadn't been seen in, a, in about three years, and When we did see her last, she'd been living in California after having tracked down and killed her enemy, the cult leader Ragasha. When Khazar number one opens, it's taken for granted that Shanna had relocated to the Savage Land and had entered into a sometimes hostile but undoubtedly romantic relationship with Lord Plunder of the Jungle. For pretty much the first half of the run, Shanna and Khazar were taken out of the Savage Land there. They stepped through a waterfall and found themselves in a vast new country, Pangea, which we find has some pretty surprising connections to not only Atlantis, but Dante Alighieri and the Inferno. Khazar and Shanna spend a good amount of time exploring this new land and meet up with many of its people, including a a birdman race and a monkeyman race. A really surprising aspect of these early issues is the is the personalities of the leads. They they look like Shanna and Khazar, but they often don't act like them. 
Kazar, who I'd been used to as a monosyllabic brute, kind of blonde Tarzan knockoff, was suddenly cracking wise, making corny references to Merv Griffin and Bruce Lee. And Shanna, she comes off as a little nagging, and most surprising of all, she's obsessed with a ring. Getting a ring. Complete change from the fierce, independent woman from the five issues of her old solo series and her subsequent appearances in Daredevil and Savage Tales. She even goes on to marry one of the tree people, a monkey man race of dudes with tails. This was after a spat with Kazar. Though the tree person that she marries conveniently dies in a hunting accident, which kind of annulled any wedding ceremony that may have taken place. And I don't mean to imply that these issues were unenjoyable, or even that Bruce Jones had a poor handle on the characters. I think he had a great handle on, on his characters, whose bickering banter zinged and singed. They just didn't seem to be the same characters that have been published for years by, by Marvel. The series really began clicking with me about halfway through the run. Coincidentally, when Brent Anderson, whose art I really liked, stopped drawing the book. My favorite issues are numbers 21 through 24. Shanna's in New York City thinking Kazar had died by accidental headshot wound inflicted by agent of AIM, Ramona Starr. AIM, I think, is like the bad shield. Really, though, Kazar had been whisked away by Ramona and still with a head wound and by threats to Shanna's safety is forced to cooperate with AIM to take out a rival would-be world conqueror. Ramona also uses a device planted in Kazar's head which sends shocks should he disobey her orders. She uses that to take advantage of the Jungle King, if you know what I mean. Meanwhile, Shanna is consoled in New York by a doting Peter Parker who's quote-unquote friend, Spider-Man, mostly keeps Shanna safe from AIM. There's a little flirtation between the two, but it's clear Shanna is playing the grieving widow and can't stop thinking about her Kevin. It's through conversation between Shanna and Peter, though, that we learn a few of the details of Shanna's life between her last solo outing and when she turned up in the first issue of Kazar. She apparently tried making a go of it in the veterinary world back in Africa, but felt, whether real or perceived, that she wasn't being taken seriously by colleagues who Shanna felt couldn't forget she used to parade around in a leopard-skin bikini. So she left that world and parachuted into the Savage Land and managed to coexist separately with Kazar for a time, caring for the wildlife of the Antarctic jungle, but encounter after encounter with the brusque jungle lord led to a cheesy, cheesy and cliched violent physical confrontation that leads to a, of course, a makeout session and more. Kazar the Savage was a direct book, by the way, and didn't have to strictly adhere to the comics code. There were a few, few liberties taken, I think, with some explicit sexual content, at least by Marvel standards at the time. As a bonus, this format provided for some really, really good-looking wraparound covers, a couple of which I'll, I'll reproduce on the blog. Anyway, Shanna and Kazar are eventually reunited, 
in New York City. Spidey gets the brush off, and not too long after that, Shanna and Kazar tie the knot. I really recommend these issues. Some some pretty great Marvel action. Uh, to this point, the title had been pretty self-contained, existing in its own little corner of the Marvel Universe. The interaction with others, pretty much, pretty much in the center of the Marvel Universe, which is New York City, gave these stories a little bounce, a little pep. There was some really great Armando Hill illustrations. Bruce Jones left the book pretty much right after that, and the last few issues of the series were scripted by Mike Carlin. I would be a little remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Zabu, the tiger, had his own backup feature in a lot of these issues. That feature was written by Bruce Jones and illustrated at first by Gil Kane, who did a great job, though I'm really more used to seeing him do uh, superhero stuff. The art was taken over by Val Mayerick, whose style was perfect for that serious jungle cat action. So Shanna would appear with Kazar as a pair in various Marvel titles. Anytime a Marvel hero or team visited the Savage Land, Shanna would show up with her husband. It was also around this time that she appeared in the first season of Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the uh, episode Seven Little Superheroes, which where she was referred to not as the She-Devil, but as the Jungle Queen. This is the thing I mentioned in the first Shanna Showcase. This is where I first saw her. Uh, Shanna would eventually give birth to the couple's son, Matthew. Uh, but it wasn't until 1989, years, a couple years after that, uh, in an issue, as I said, of Marvel Comics Presents, that she got any time to herself. Marvel Comics Presents was a bi-weekly or weekly something weekly anthology series that gave readers every issue a Wolverine story like we needed any more of those and uh, three various backups by a variety of talent issue number 13 was a rare non-Wolverine issue Uh, the lead story that this time was a chapter in a multi-part Colossus story yawn then there's the first in a 25-part Black Panther serial by Don McGregor and Gene Colan. There's a one-off Reed and Sue Richards story. And then reunited with her writer on Kazar the Savage, Bruce Jones, Shanna the She-Devil gets the last eight pages. And Gene Colan does the wraparound cover to this issue, and Shanna gets some nice real estate on the, on the back cover. Gene Colan had worked on Shanna a little bit, having penciled a couple of her appearances in Daredevil a few years back. Now, Bruce Jones actually penciled and inked, as well as wrote the, uh, the Shanna story. And he's, he's a pretty damn good artist. Guy can draw. Uh, he's equally great at drawing humans and animals, which is helpful in, in this particular story. That story is called Tooth for a Tooth. Shanna apparently takes a little time to herself, leaving young Matthew at home with Dad. We open on uh, Shanna's old stomping ground, the African Plain. She's inspecting the body of a rhinoceros who'd been killed with... She's inspecting it with a game warden friend named Leonard. Shanna says the poachers who killed the rhino must have been spooked by their arrival as the, the horn, rhino's horn, was still intact. On their patrol of the reserve, Shanna 
kind of mourns the loss of the Africa that she once knew. She claims the ground shook, used to shake under the thunder of millions of animals, and now the ground shakes with the sound of tour buses. Just then, over their jeep's radio, the pair is called to the scene of a lion attack. They happen upon a despondent tourist, Philip Milford, whose wife Betsy had been attacked and killed. As Milford relates his story to Shannon Leonard, there's a flashback sequence to the to the actual events of the quote-unquote attack. The wife, Betsy, decked out in a halter top and zebra print spandex, is she's something of a nag. She's really critical of her husband, everything from his safari hat. She has a great line, Do you think you'd look like Stuart Granger? You look like Truman Capote. She criticizes his outfit, uh, his hunting skills. Milford comes up empty for uh, two weeks on the hunting trip, but now he sees an opportunity to bag a lion as one approaches. He shoots and at least wounds the male, and when Betsy moves in to inspect the carcass with her back turned, Philip shoots her, saying he thinks this perfect crime will lead to a new and better life. And in the present, to Shanna, Milford stammers the rest of his alibi, claiming that the lion mauled Betsy and he shot the beast to defend his wife, though one of the bullets must have accidentally struck her. Shanna inspects Betsy's body and confirms that there is a bullet wound in her chest, as well as tooth and claw marks on her neck and arms. Since the lion has disappeared, the conclusion is reached that Milford only wounded it, so... Shanna volunteers to track the lion down on foot. Milford says, is she crazy or something? And Leonard claims, no, she's Shanna. Shanna tracks the wounded cat somewhere beyond a, behind a herd of elephants. One of, the, one of the bulls charges at Shanna, but she manages to set aside her intense dislike of guns. For info on that, see the earliest episodes of this podcast. And uh, she shoots the elephant with a trank dart. Seems Shanna and Leonard had been charged with tagging elephants, so she manages to get some work done while she tracks down the lion. She manages to successfully stalk her prey, but when she finds the lion she's looking for, she's confronted by another, a more aggressive male lion. With only one trank dart left, Shanna has to get creative when the lion charges and uses the rifle like a Louisville slugger and sends the beast to the ground. Her true prey proves to be a little more docile. She gets a funny feeling about the whole business and moves in to inspect the lion. She manages to use a standard hypodermic needle to tranquilize the friendly cat, though, just just in case. Back with Leonard, Milford panics when he sees Shanna approach with the lion walking beside her. He reaches for his rifle, but Shanna shoots first blowing her last trank dart into his gut. She says without the antidote, the elephant's dose of tranquilizer would kill him in about ten minutes, so why doesn't he tell the real story about what happened between he and his wife? Milford screams a confession, saying he shot his wife and rigged the lion's markings on the body. Shanna makes her own confession that, well, she shot him with an empty dart. When she took a closer look at the lion, when she found him, she recognized Sultan, the lion raised in captivity. 
uh, raised at someone named Jack Bingham's ranch. The lion wouldn't, wouldn't have even harmed a fly. The lion had wandered away from the ranch and had been missing for a couple of days, and Shanna tells Milford to, next time, choose his scapegoats a little more carefully. In pain, he again screams, She's insane! As Shanna walks away with Sultan, <laughs> Leonard once again claims, Nope, she's not insane. She's Shanna. What a great little story. Bruce Jones uh, here proves that he, he really does have a great handle on Shanna's character, despite what I thought were a, a few hiccups in the early issues of Khazar the Savage. The story is something of a throwback to Shanna's earliest adventures and would have fit comfortably in her own solo series. She kind of shows that sick, almost cruel sense of humor that was a early hallmark. Though usually the butt of her jokes are nasty killers and they more than deserve it. It's really nice to see her spread her wings on her own in a habitat that she seems so comfortable in and to see her once again characterized as someone more at ease with members of the animal kingdom than those of the human race. I would love for this great little murder mystery to have been a little teaser for a Bruce Jones Shanna series, but that was not to be. Next up for Shanna is an appearance uh, once again with her husband in the graphic novel Khazar, Guns of the Savage Land. Events in that story will lead into a ten-part Shanna solo serial in, in some... Issues of Marvel Comics Presents. So I can't wait to get into those with you next time out. If anyone out there has read Khazar the Savage or is a Bruce Jones fan, let me know. I haven't read too much by him, but uh, I really did enjoy a lot of that Khazar series. And this eight-pager in Marvel Comics Presents was, was great. I'd love to read more and will accept your recommendations. I'll be putting up some images on the blog, uh, imthegun.blogspot.com. You'll see some panels from the MCP story and a couple of my favorite wraparound covers from the Khazar series. You can get in touch with me by leaving a comment on the blog, by emailing imthegun at gmail.com, or hitting me up on Twitter, where I post as at Mark Sweeney Jr., Please check out older Shanna showcases, among other things, on iTunes. So thanks for listening, and until next time, see you on Savannah. <laughs>